Welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast. I am your host, Maddie Wollner, a multiple business owner, life coach, busy mom of three, and curious student of life. This podcast is a place for inspired women to gather. Each week, I will share personal stories, quick inspo, strategies that you can implement right away, and engage in real conversations with badass women who have made the conscious decision to live a life on purpose, one that they have intentionally designed and that they now demand. No more allowing our lives to be defined by everyone else. No more putting ourselves on the back burner. No more living in a state of default and never going after our goals or our dreams. We are going to live our best lives on our terms. Living on purpose is our goal, and we're going to get after it starting right now. You are tuning in to episode 16 of the Living on Purpose podcast. And on today's episode, I will be interviewing the amazing, beautiful, and oh-so-inspiring Monica Moore. Monica will share her story of survival. Survival from an abusive husband. This story of domestic violence will contain graphic descriptions and is not intended for all ears, so please be aware. I first heard Monica speak last week at the Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Auction, and I realized just how unaware and uneducated I was when it came to domestic violence right here in my community. I learned that one in three women have suffered from domestic violence at some point in their life. I learned that the majority of the emergency calls are due to domestic violence. And I also learned that domestic violence affects everyone, not just the poor. It affects all levels of social economic status. I figured that I can't be the only one who's in the dark here. And so I hope that by interviewing Monica, we can raise a little bit of awareness, save more women, and have a bigger impact. Monica is an absolute gem, and I know that you will fall in love just as I did. So let's dive in. All right, peeps, this is the part of the show that I get to give you a big old virtual hug and thank you for reviewing the podcast, My Labor of Love. These ratings and reviews seriously, seriously mean the world to me. This five-star review comes from Miss Sassy Soul Success. Miss Sassy Soul says, I really love how Maddie structures her podcasts and the content that she offers. It's so conversational, and it totally feels like I'm talking to a friend, a friend that always makes you think and that has the best advice. Looking forward to more episodes to listen to on my morning walks. Oh, Miss Sassy Soul, thank you so much. This review made my day because I love listening to podcasts when I go on walks or runs or bike rides. And so I love that I get to join you on your morning walk. It is an honor. And I would love to hear what you think of the show. Leave a review and I will make sure to give you a big old virtual hug on a future episode. Welcome, Monica Moore, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So before we really, I just want to really dive into your story because it was so compelling when I heard it. Um, So why don't, before we dive in though, take a couple minutes just to tell us a little bit about yourself um, personally and professionally and what you have going on that has you excited right now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Monica Moore, as you said, and um, I am a single mom of two amazing kids. Um, uh, One is 12 and one is five. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things. Um, So I I work full time. Um, I have an incredible job. I do organizational development for credit, a a large credit union. And um, I'm also uh, an executive coach on the side. So I do leadership development and um, really try and work with business leaders, managers, um, entrepreneurs, and try and help them 
live intentionally um, with business and uh, really make sure that what they're doing uh, from a work standpoint is in line with their personal value, you know, with their values and where they want to go. So I do that. Um, and then I also am going to school full time. I'm working on my MBA. So I will be getting, I'm so close to being done with my MBA. Just oh my more, gosh. So quarter. you're not busy like at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> you don't have much going on. That is amazing. Oh my gosh. How close are you to finishing school? Um, so I'm in finals week right now, and then I have one more quarter. So I'll have my MBA finished the end of February, and I'm already scheming on how to fill 30 hours a week that I'll free up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe just sit sit for a while. Nah, nah, that's not really my that's not, your jam? that's not your jam. Oh my gosh. 30 extra hours a week. Wow. Okay. Awesome. And what do you have that's uh, excited? What has you excited right now? So actually, um, some new developments on the business front for me, I really gained some clarity on the direction I want to take my business because I've been torn uh, between going solely in an executive coaching style. Um, But then I also, because of my story and because of what I've been through, how do I... uh, impact, make an impact, positive impact in the community uh, with other victims and women and men um, who are on this side of trauma and, um, but, but really ready to be forward future focused. And so um, I had this massive clarity happen for, for myself this week and um, have secured a new business name and I'm going to be developing a non-for-profit and, uh, and so I can, so I can really work with people, uh, veterans, domestic violence uh, victims, and really any. There's so many people mm-hmm. who have different struggles, who've gone through some sort of trauma or str- struggle or something, and and it's so easy to let that victim mentality kind of become your identity. And one of the things that's really huge for me and really just very important to me is to show people that there's life after trauma. And that matter of fact, life can be so much better than you ever possibly imagined. And um, so I've got my clarity on what I want to do. And um, yeah, registered my my new business name, which is a premier impact coaching. Yes. And um, and uh, so, so that's, that's going to be launching in 2020. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. We'll make sure to put, do you have the website? I have, I have secured the website. I haven't built it yet, but yeah, premierimpactcoaching.com. And uh, I'll be on all social media. I got all of that locked down and secure. And okay. now it's just, um, you know, doing all the fun paperwork <laughs> to get the business part going. Well, that's amazing. Good for you. And we'll make sure to put all of that, all of those links in the show notes so that when your website is built out, it'll, it'll be there as well as all your social media and everything so that our listeners can find you. Which is, which is with what you're doing with that big of an impact. We want to make sure that as many people who um, need your services are able to reach you for sure. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, and, and a lot of uh, your listeners, you know, hopefully they're, um, you know, already working, you know, on that personal development side and this it's not, you know, I'm not a therapist. And as you know, with coaching, there's a big difference. So, you know, in coaching, it's very future focused and me particularly, it's less about that personal development piece, which obviously is a part of it. Um, I'm not a life coach. I really want to focus on those goals um, and who and what they want to be essentially in the second piece. So, um, and, and what that looks like. Um, so that's, that's that piece. But that's, so that's what I'm really excited about right now. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Well, let's launch right into your story because I really want to share this. And here's why I invited you onto the podcast is a, um, because you are such a wonderful storyteller and this is something that, um, domestic violence is something that I guess I was pretty unaware. I was, I was calling, I almost calling myself ignorant when it comes to the impact in just our local community that um, I learned 
through attending an auction. And I think that, you know, nothing happens um, on accident. And I think there was a reason I was there and that there was a reason I was there to hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I learned was one in three women are impacted in some way by domestic violence, which to me was a shock really, because I'm in my bubble. I really have kind of padded my life and, um, haven't, haven't made myself aware. And so I hope by you sharing your story, more people can become aware. And so that we can help in whatever way, um, that looks like, whether it's through money, whether it's through supporting you, whether it's, um, just having more conversations. So that is why I invited you here. So why don't you just go right ahead and share your story? Hey, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big misconceptions, as you said, is that it's, it's one people don't talk about it. Right. And, and people don't talk about it because there's so much shame. Um, when you, when you get to the other side, right. There's so much shame, um, and embarrassment and, and, and just regret that's so hard to talk about because when you're on the other side of it, you get slightly removed enough to look at back. And so nobody really likes to talk about it. And the other thing too, is that when you're in it, um, you're completely isolated and, or you feel completely isolated. And, and I think what I, with my story, um, what I like to just kind of preempt so people understand is look, you know, I am, I work full time. I'm smart. I have my bachelor's degree. You know, I, I'm well-liked. I'm a successful business uh, person. People who knew me would never, uh, ever think that a, I would put up with domestic violence or B that I would uh, ever be a victim of anything. Right. And so I think what's important to paint is that anybody can, can fall victim to this. And, uh, my story, particularly, I call it kind of a slow boil. So it wasn't, I was married for 14 years. Um, we had two beautiful children. We had bought our second home. Um, I, I felt that we were living quote unquote, the American dream. Like we had arrived right in our early thirties and achieved so much together. Uh, we served in the military together. My husband was a sheriff's deputy. Um, he was on the SWAT team. He was doing all of this incredible work. He's really good at his job in the community. Um, and over time, right, little tiny things start to uh, eat away at who you are, right? So little things happened. Um, I gained weight after having our second child and little comments that he started saying to me started breaking down my self-esteem. And, and while in a lot of ways, he um, presented himself as a good husband to me, right? He would say thank you when I would cook dinner. And, you know, we had a passionate love life and, and those types of things. Um, He would do little things to degrade me. And over time, I just started feeling more isolated. He started isolating me from my parents, from my families. Um, If I had friends. I had strong opinions that were different than him. He would talk bad about them. And so very slowly over time, he became more the center of my universe. He became more of um, the person that I just wanted to, um, how do I say this? Like I needed his validation, right? And he was kind of all I had. Um, I worked from home at the time, so I didn't have an office space. So I really became very isolated. Um, And then my husband uh, had an affair, um, but it wasn't just kind of a typical affair. Uh, This is a woman who uh, came into our lives and positioned herself as a very close friend of mine. While she's sleeping with my husband, um, she embedded herself and her kids deep into my life. And I, you know, we went on family vacations together. She bought a house in our neighborhood. I mean, we were planning big things, you know, like lifelong friends. And the whole time she was with my husband and and I don't know, I can only make up what things he was saying, but on the surface, it appeared as if, um, he was confident or arrogant enough, I should say, Mm -hmm. uh, to think that I would open our marriage up and have kind of like this whole second wife thing. Now, mind you, she was married with a husband and two kids on the side, but I think that what really switched, um, and obviously I didn't know any of this was going on, but when he kind of realized that 
like, no, like I'm not into that. <laughs> right. Uh, then, then he started getting mean. I see. And, and, uh, then when the affair came to light, um, ultimately at the end of the day, I pretty much said, Hey, look, you know, if, if I was devastated, of course, but at the same time I said, look, if you want to go and build this life with this woman who, um, made minimum wage at her job and had two kids and was married. And I just felt was not of my equal. I said, go do it. Mm-hmm. And you don't get me. I'm not part of the deal. Like you don't get to come home to home cooked meals that I make you. We're not going to like all cordially co-parent with you, but we're not going to be friends. Like if this was is that, what was that hard for you to make that decision at that point, because he had started breaking you down and, and making him your center of everything. So when this all happened and you had the choice, sounds like, mm-hmm. uh, was that hard? Did you kind of, was there part of you that was like, maybe, maybe we could do that? You know, I, um, maybe I could break up with him or maybe we could split or maybe I could live with the affair. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could live with the affair. Yeah. So I knew that, So while he had been slowly breaking me down, the real breakdown of my confidence kind of came after the affair came to light. Because what, I mean, at this point, I knew financially I could support myself. I knew that we could sell one of the houses and me and the kids could move into another house. And with his child support, like I would be fine. And I think one of the challenges that he had always with me is that I was never in a position where I needed him as a husband, but I always wanted him as a husband. And I think that for him, what he wanted was somebody to need him. Right. Right. And that's where this affair partner came involved. She was desperate for him. She stroked his ego all the time. And that just was not who I was. Mm -hmm. So I can see that doesn't justify it, but I can remove, I can see his desire to that. However, I gave him an out. I said, look, if you want it, go, you're going to have to tell your kids, you're going to have to make this decision. You're going to have to be a grown up about it. And that's at that point, he said, no, I love you. I never wanted her. He did never admitted to me that he was sleeping with her or anything like that. He said it was an emotional affair, mm-hmm. which, you know, ridiculous. But, and at that point I said, I'm all in. I'm like, I'm going to be better. I'm going to love you more. I'm going to be this woman that you want me to be because I then kind of became desperate to hang on to his love. And I did, I lost that strength, kind of that, that realization that I didn't need him. Right. And so rather than him, rather than him stepping up and proving to me that, you know, he loved me and that he was sorry. I became desperate, mm-hmm. right. And clingy and emotional. And I, gosh, I didn't eat for like three months. I feel like, you know, it's nothing like getting skinny. Because wow. Yeah. But, but, um, yeah, so we just hunkered down and, and then that's when the real deception started. Um, uh, him staying out late and, um, calling at work, him, uh, leaving early, super early in the morning and calling work. And at this point he had been working undercover, um, the drug task force. And so it was a lot of like, I couldn't ask questions anyways. And he really leveraged that, um, to his advantage, a lot of secret phone calls. And then I started, um, getting kind of obsessed with his, uh, checking his phone. And then I started seeing all of these hidden apps, like, oh my gosh, girl, like you have no idea what's available to people on. It's scary. Um, there, there was, I found apps that looked like news, um, things that required fingerprints to get inside where he could exchange photos and, and, uh, conversations. There were, there was a calculator that actually was a place for him to store and hide photos that he had of her. Um, the list goes on and on of, um, all of these hidden apps that he had on his phone that I would find the hidden app, right. But all the information would be gone or I couldn't access it. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's when the arguments really would start is I would find it. I'd have a gut feeling. I would find it. And I would call him out on it and he would just deny it. Now, 
mind you, he's trained mm. negotiator. He's trained in SWAT. He's trained in law enforcement. He knows how to manipulate and turn conversations around so that we would just be spinning and he would just be calling me crazy. Right. And just mm. basically denying it. And, um, when you're told you're crazy enough times, you start to believe it. You start to say, oh, you know, I, I am being oh, too much. I am, I, it is all in my head. And because I never like saw conversations with him and her, he said that it was over. You would just continually uh, gaslight me. Ultimately, um, if you're familiar with the term gaslighting, that's what he would do is he would just turn everything around on me um, and made me feel insane. And um, the abuse started light. Um, It started with um, not allowing me to leave the bedroom, um, but no physical, right? No hands on. It was just, you can't leave. We're not talking, you know, and I would try and he'd lock me in the bedroom. Then it turned into, um, you know, physically preventing me from leaving the room, not hitting me, but physically not letting me hands on me, pushing me on the bed, you know, keeping me away from the door, that kind of stuff. When he, uh, was it just at night or was it all the time? Pretty much at night. Um, Cause he was at work all day. I was at work when the kids would go to sleep, essentially. Um, this is when that would happen. And also I wasn't sleeping. Right. And so I would wake up in the middle of the night with this gut feeling. And that's when I'd often check his phone. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when I'd find it. And then we'd be up and fighting until two, three o'clock in the morning. And I would just be like, I'm done. Like I'm over it. But then he would go into this manipulation mode when I'd say, you need to leave. It's over. Mm -hmm. He would switch and he'd be like, this is the bitch talking, right? I'm not talking to the bitch. I want to talk to my, my wife. You know, this isn't my wife I'm talking to right now. Okay. Wow. Right. So he would be really aggressive with, he started splitting my strength and putting my strength into this negative. You're a horrible he'd call me all sorts of names that if you can imagine, right. Um, when I was this, but yep. when I was submissive and, um, compliant to what he needed, that was his loving wife. That was who he was just trying to get to. And that pattern really progressed. Um, I, I like to talk about the fact that it was 58 days yeah. from the first time he backhanded me to the night of his arrest. So that struck me when you said that, that really struck me as quick in my mind. Like that is no time at all. It, it probably felt like an eternity to you, but to me, 58 days just goes by so quickly and to go from zero, essentially, I mean, zero hands on you mm-hmm. where I think it started way before that, but, um, that really stood out in your, in your conversation. So I'm glad that you brought that up because if you didn't, I was going to share that. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So 50 days. So it was the day before Thanksgiving, uh, 2016. Um, I had been preparing food for him all day. I had, uh, cause he was on a special diet. And so I like slaved in the kitchen and, and to make sure he had what he needed the next day, we had a bunch of friends and family coming over, uh, for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, at this point, uh, we had people living with us who were in the process of building a house in our neighborhood, close friends of ours, um, kind of transitioning. And we were just sitting there that evening and I was playing cards with my, my girlfriend or our friend and, and he was sitting on the couch and I had just kind of reached over to give him a hug. And I saw him texting somebody, And I said, who the hell is that? And he said, it's none of your concern. Mm. And I just was done. And so I was like, I had been literally like, I saw him texting somebody. Right. And like, and I I knew I wasn't crazy, but at the same time as I just was so over it. And so I was just like, I walked outside and by this point I hadn't been eating and I'd started smoking again. And I started like, just not taking care of myself uh, physically because I couldn't emotionally handle it. And he came outside and he was just like, he got in my face, shoved my his phone in my face and said, I'm not, um, I'm not doing anything wrong. I was buying your Christmas present. Look. And I was just like, bullshit. Right. 
like, it's such bullshit. I'm done. It's over. I'm done playing this game. I'm sick of feeling like this. I don't want you here. You need to go inside and get your things and you need to go. And I'm going to cancel Thanksgiving tomorrow. And we're going to just figure this out. Cause I was just, it had been by this point, four months of essentially living and walking on eggshells and questioning everything. And I just was done. I was so done. And, um, said fine. And he went to go walk inside and I went to go follow him and he turned around backhanded me across the face and I was wearing my glasses and, and, uh, my glasses, uh, split open, you know, he hit me so hard. I hit the ground and my, my eye had split open. I was gushing blood all over the place. And if you've never been hit in the face by somebody and mind you, this is a, this is a man who was very strong. He was like, you know, 200 pounds of solid muscle worked out at the gym every day. Um, you, your, your brain literally shakes in your head and you become, or I became very unaware, like literally my friend is in the living room, like right behind the door. And I could have just started screaming and she would have been out, but I was so shocked that of what he had just done that I just couldn't even, I couldn't even cry. Like I was just, and, um, it all happened so fast from there. He scooped me up, threw me in his truck and we took off and I'm like bleeding all over the place. And he's yelling at me and I'm telling, I'm screaming at him to like, don't touch me to like, leave me alone. I was like trying to leave. And he's, he's going into, I'm just trying to take care of you mode. Yeah. And, um, and that started six hours of him um, trapping me in his car. And he drove me all over the County, just trying to, trying to get me to comply to his story of the door flying back and hitting me in the face. Okay. And, and I wouldn't for five hours and, um, he fought me. And I mean, I, I jumped out of the moving truck at one point and I was barefoot. It was November. I was trying to run away from him. I had no idea where we were and he would get out and he dragged me back to the car and throw me in, in the back seat. And he would be holding me down while he's driving to the next location. And I'm thrashing, um, the, the bruises that I had over my body the next day. Um, so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Long story short, I realized that I had to stop fighting if I was ever going to get home. And so what happens is you take everything you have and you shove it super deep down inside of you and you say, go away, strong Monica, become compliant, do whatever he says, say yes to whatever, play the game because you need to get out of this freaking car. (laughs) Right. Right. It was like self-preservation at that point. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. hundred percent. So long story short, I agreed to it next morning. I had so many bruises all over me. I had to wear a turtleneck and long sleeves. Um, and just like I was covered head to toe. You couldn't cover the black. eye. I mean, it was so bad, the split eye. And I just, the next morning, and um, I think what's important to remember too, is they don't give you any space, Right. So from the moment I was inside, he was with me every second. He never left me until he knew that, that, that I wasn't going to say anything or the leave. Story, the story was the ingrained story. enough that he felt, that he felt safe. That he felt safe. Exactly. Uh, right. Cause wow. this is not, this is not about me at all at this point. This is all about him. Right. And, um, so, yeah, so I spent Thanksgiving uh, listening to my friends and family talk about how, like, you know, typical DV that sounds, and they're all joking and laughing about it. Of course, now they all feel terrible, but right. um, yeah, so luckily uh, for me, um, and, th- and that's just the first, right? Um, there were many more times that the physical violence would escalate. And um, after that first black eye, what he would do is he'd use his forearms and elbows to slam them into my the sides of my face and hold me and pin me down by my neck to reduce the bruising um, so that, that he wouldn't break the skin, essentially. But um, for for all 58 days, you know, my arms would always be covered and it was wintertime. So most people didn't see me. However, I did go to the gym every month or every day. And at the gym, I wasn't allowed to go to the, his gym that he went to, uh, come to find out because he had his girlfriend there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but 
I, so I went to my own gym and because of that, I had witnesses who'd seen the black eyes, saw the bruises on my body who were able to then later make statements for the police. So it was, it was a good benefit. And that um, was the, literally pro- the only time you went out of the house during, during the 58 days was to go to the gym. Because yes, went to the gym. Home. Yeah. And did the kids know? So it, they didn't know about the physical abuse. Um, you know, Caden, my, my kids, my son was nine at the time and my daughter was only two. And so, you know, my daughter obviously had no idea. My son just believed he took it at face value. When dad said the door came back and hit mom in the face and that's why she's got a black eye. Why wouldn't he believe that? Right. And I, I wasn't denying it or telling him anything different. Um, he did hear lots of banging. Um, it was really sad after the arrest, the kids got interviewed and they're talking about how it sounded like boxes were being thrown in the bedroom. Um, but it was my body being you. thrown. Mm-hmm. It was you. You were the yeah. box. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So um, take us back to the gym. And that was the only time that you went out. You did, um, it, when when you were sharing your story at the auction, mention spending hours applying makeup. Oh, yeah. So I became, because, so after that first one, what would happen is he would, he would get, uh, I, my jaws would get really bruised um, because he would be hitting me with his elbows and his forearms in my face. And I got multiple black eyes, but they didn't split the skin. And so when they didn't, because because the first one split my skin and you couldn't cover that up. And I still have a scar that I see every day from that. But the other ones, he never broke the skin. And so I became very effective at applying a lot of makeup. And, um, and because I was at home. I worked from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nobody really saw me. Right. And if I was to go out, it would be out for an evening with friends. And so me wearing more makeup was normal. Right. Even though I put on way more than I ever have, you know, nobody's going to question that. Right. Right. Um, I remember one day we're standing in the kitchen and this had to have been a couple, couple weeks uh, maybe mid December, let's say. And, uh, my friend Eva, who is also my savior, she was living us with us at the time and we're staying in the kitchen. And she said, Oh my God, Monica, like, what is, what's going on with your face? Like she, she knew she had put the bruises together. Um, and, uh, she put some things together and she had flat out asked me, um, if he had been physical with me and I, told her the truth that he had been physical. And I, and I gave her the details of what had happened Thanksgiving. Um, and she was there that night. Um, and basically I think what's important for uh, your listeners to know is that when you're in that, you're for somebody to, to come at you and say, you need to leave him and you need to burn his stuff. And, and you're like, what are you doing? Like that does not help the situation. Okay. Um, the best thing to do, um, is what Eva said and said, when you're ready, when you're ready to leave, I'm here. here. You call me anytime and I will help you get out. No questions asked. Okay. When you're ready, I'm here. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really important because that is definitely something I want to dig into towards the end is, is what do we need to do or say or no? Um, did anybody at the gym suspect Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, the first one, it was like, yeah, that happened from a Turkey bowl and I got some rolls, eye rolls. And then, um, he was actually my trainer. And then the second, you know, as they progressed, he would just come up to me and he'd be like, so another Turkey bowl, you know, and I would just, I would just shrug my shoulders. So he knew too, but again, nobody talks about it. Nobody wants to say, Hey, are you okay? Nobody did. Nobody did. And, um, and, and I don't know if had they said that to me, to be honest, I would have disclosed anything, but I definitely got to this point where I wasn't lying anymore, where it was like, if somebody said something to me, I would just stare at them and not answer them typically, but I definitely wouldn't lie for him after that Thanksgiving and, um, after that night. And, um, yeah, so we're saying, and, and we, we're literally defending him talking about how, um, his training must have just 
come out when he was angry. And that's why he's slamming his forearms into my face. I mean, I was justifying his behavior in any way I possibly could because who does that? Who stays? Oh yeah. Right. I can't stay with him if he's beating me. Right. But if he's just like going through his own stuff and he's like got some PTSD, like who knows, like if it's not really about the fact that he's just a piece of crap being his wife. Right. If, if I can make it something else and that can justify why I'm not leaving. Right. Yeah. To myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, because you knew that you, did you know that you should get out? So by this time after Thanksgiving, I told him we're, we're done. I said, we need to separate. Like I wasn't ready to divorce. Um, he had still claimed that there was no affair happening. He was still claiming that he wanted to make, make it work. And I said, I can't live like this. I'm not, you know, I can't live getting beat and trapped and kidnapped in my life. Like, that's just not how I am going to be okay living my life. Um, and then he played the whole, it's the holidays. We don't want to split up around the holidays. We just need to get past the holidays for the kids sake. Um, but it was terrible. The energy, um, I was crying all the time. I was covered in bruises all the time. I mean, it was not a good environment for my children to be in anyways, but I was so just like, okay, okay. Like anything to not make him angry, anything to just like, I, I mean, that's what that time from basically right after Thanksgiving up until right after Christmas was like, it was just like anything to not set him off. And of course, whatever I did set him off at this point. And it just continued to just escalate and escalate and escalate. And the frequencies of the beatings got more and more, right? So it was like maybe two weeks after Thanksgiving before he laid hands on me again. And then it was like maybe 10 days. And then it was literally happening to every week to, to two or three times a week. Um, at the end, at the end, it was bit, yeah, it's pretty, the, the last week was really brutal. Okay. So nobody other than Eva saying when you're ready, I'm here. Mm-hmm. No, nobody asked if you were okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That that's interesting to me. Um, and not really a lot of opportunity as well. If you're, if you're in the house. So can you tell us about the, the final, was it the final, uh, final beating that you were within inches of your life? Was that it? Yeah. So that, that week two two major, well, uh, that last week was pretty bad. So the, uh, the Saturday before he was arrested was a night that he, um, we had been separated at this point. Um, it was like, um, I had him move out after Christmas, but he still came home every night for his home cooked meal. I mean, it was so ridiculous. Um, mm. <laughs> I have to laugh about it now just because I was so broken and it just sounds so ridiculous when I think back about it now, but, um, I don't think it sounds ridiculous. And I think I I'm just really thankful for you to share that. Um, because it makes sense, right? You're, you're in a hundred percent self-preservation mode for yourself mm-hmm. and the kids. And it started years with the little comments, right? And so the abuse started so long ago that I don't think it sounds ridiculous when he's all you had in your mind. In my mind, right. And I'm not worthy of anything else either, right? Like nobody else is going to love me. And what's really interesting is that at the end, the violence escalated so fast because um, because he was jealous of a a friend, uh, a male friend who there was nothing happening, but, um, he started just losing his mind thinking that all of the things that he was actually doing on the side, um, he started projecting all of that on me. And, and I, um, and I, all I was trying to do was be enough for him. Right. Mm -hmm. But as I was starting to, he also saw me starting to pull away and he saw me like people, who I hadn't been spending time with because of the isolations. Once he moved out, I was intentionally trying to spend more time with them. Mm -hmm. And every time I would plan something, he would show up, he would try and like crash on the, you know, he would Mm -hmm. crash. He'd invite himself. He would just, he would, he would not leave me alone until I invited him to come, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Um, But yeah, so that last, uh, that third, that the Saturday before, I think, you can keep whatever you want in here as you want, but, um, ultimately, you know, that, that 
I think this one's really violent. So um, he, we had been arguing um, uh, uh, pretty badly and the kids were awake and there. And I just needed to get him out of the house because I just knew things were going to get really physical and I didn't want, I didn't want to be hurt anymore. Right. And so I said, you just need to go, you need to go um, to your parents' house, you know, it's evening, like we, let's just have this conversation later. And, um, he, he would not leave. And then he turned it into, I'm going to take the kids and I just, it's my night with the kids or something. And I just said, okay, like, uh, they're not aware of this, but like, I will go pack them up. Mm-hmm. Um, long story, some, semi short, uh, he ended up trapping me and the kids in a bedroom upstairs. Um, I was holding my daughter at the time she was two and he was like, forcing me, pushing me on the bed while I'm holding her. It's something she still talks about to this day. Um, and she's five now. So it, you know, that trauma happened and I was, you know, trying to protect my son. You know, I had them both like pinned in the corner behind me, um, just asking him to leave and he's screaming at me and he's telling the kids what, a you know, that I'm a slut and that I'm a whore and that I'm, I'm ruining the family because, and, and it's all, Yes. Right. But that's what he's like screaming at them. Right. And they're babies and they're babies. They don't, they don't know this. They have no idea. They have no idea what's going on. So I finally like Caden's screaming, just let me go downstairs. And so I, I let him go downstairs. Um, luckily in the middle of this, we had people living with us, remember? So they like came home and, and, uh, my ex-husband at the time, my, I don't know what to call him. Yeah. 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 Uh, but he, he ran downstairs and, um, and he, he, to stop them and say, you need to leave. You guys can't stay here. I'm dealing with stuff with my wife, blah, 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 blah. So like, we kind of like created some space. And so I like gathered the kids up. I tucked them into my bed. Cause I was like, if the kids are in my bedroom, he can't trap me in there, <laughs> you know? And, um, and he, and he just wouldn't leave. And I like crawled into bed with them. And I said, you just, you know, just go, we can talk about this tomorrow. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, just, I just need this night to not escalate from here. And he was like, fine, I'm going to leave and we'll talk tomorrow. And he's like, you need to come and lock the door behind me. And I was like, no, it's okay. Like I'll lock it like later. No, like, but you know, just very demanding. Um, and I just said, okay. And I was just like, I'm going to just walk out. And, um, as soon as I got outside the bedroom, he grabbed me by the neck and the hair and dragged me out into the garage. And then he proceeded to like grab me by the neck and like, just choke me and slam my head against the, the concrete floor, um, until I passed out. And then he would revive me and then just do it again. And again, and I think it happened at least three times, possibly more. Um, and I couldn't, even scream, you know, and I just went into like protection mode. Um, and I, but then I did start screaming and my son was in the house. My babies are just inside the house and I'm screaming for help because I mean, he, I thought he was going to kill me. I thought he was going to kill me. And, um, and we lived, um, in a a neighborhood, big houses Mm -hmm. and space. Right. So I didn't have neighbors super close to hear me screaming. And this had to have been, nine o'clock at night or something. Um, I vaguely remember at one point my son walking, trying to come out and his dad just screaming at him to go away. Um, later I found out that he had just been pacing. Uh, he carries a lot of guilt for not calling the police and, and he feels really, it took a long time for us to work through that. It wasn't his responsibility. Right. And, um, so he has, he had a lot of stress, um, and a lot of trauma himself from that. But, uh, I ended up spending, it was probably a good solid four or five hours, um, trapped in the garage, um, as he's beating me and anytime. And again, right. Like if I resist him, the beatings continue, but it takes a while when you're fighting for your life to be able to get to a point where you can shove that down and comply. Right. Right. And, and then what was really sick that I think that also people don't understand is then after he would beat me, mm-hmm. he would then make love to me, make, I'm doing air quotes here, mm-hmm. you know, make love to me because your body reacts um, physically, right? 
um, when you've had a connection with somebody for 14 years or not even, you don't even need that kind of time. Your body's going to react. And, and, and they, and they say things like you're mine. Um, nobody can ever make you feel this way. Right. Um, I'm the only person that's going to ever make you feel this good. Right. I'm protecting you from yourself that I, 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 I don't want to hurt you, but I need to protect you from yourself. I need you to protect our marriage. Right. So they, they do all of these super manipulative things over and over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, so that, that was pretty bad. And then that he just, then no space, right. So no space the next morning, um, he ended up leaving. I just didn't want to talk to him and he just couldn't let it go. So, um, he just, he kept, texting and calling and he showed up at the house and there was nothing I could, I couldn't even speak. Um, cause I was so bruised, um, around the neck from what he did, but then, yeah. So then the night of, so fast forward, um, to Friday night, uh, Friday night was also a really violent night. It was the first time he pulled out his gun. Um, uh, he had me trapped in the bedroom and, and he had, said he was threatening to kill himself, but he had me pinned on the bed with him on top of me threatening. Um, but I managed to deescalate it pretty fast by just like, I went immediately into submission mode, right? I went immediately into submission mode. So that didn't escalate. I mean, you know, still plenty of bruises, but it didn't, as soon as the gun came out, it was like, boom, right? Like I'm like in submit, yeah, submission mode. Um, the next day I spent the entire day at my friend Eva's house. We were building her kitchen, putting her kitchen together. And, um, and he had like showed up super late and, um, we had, I asked him to bring over our Bluetooth speaker so we could all listen to music while we're working really hard on this house. And he did, and he connected his phone to it. At one point he just, he went to go run down to the market to get a drink or something. And he took his phone. And to me, that just didn't feel right. I was like, why? Like the market's five minutes away. Why do you need your phone to go five minutes down the street when we're all like listening to music? Like it just didn't sit right with me. Um, And then that night we were, he came back to our house and um, he laid down on the floor and I was rubbing his feet and he fell asleep and I'm sitting there and I, his phone sitting next to me. And I just, I had this whole debate in my head, like, uh, don't touch it. There's probably nothing. It's no big deal. Like he had me so conditioned to yeah. be afraid to even pick up the phone. Right. Uh, but I said, no, you know, we're supposed to be having super transparency. We're supposed to be making progress. I see. And I did. And there on his phone was a uh, Snapchat and there was one contact in there and it said like my love or beautiful oh. girl or something like that. And I open it and I can see that it's this woman and as I'm like scrolling back, I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with Snapchat, but normally your conversation goes away, mm-hmm. right? But there had been some saved conversations and I don't know if it was intentional or a miss or whatever. And I'm reading through them and they were just like a few weeks ago. Um, and I was like, oh my God, it's never ended. Mm-hmm. It never ended. Like it's, this is, and then she messages him while I'm like there. And it's like, love question mark. And I can't even tell you. It was like, I had this like sense of peace wash over me. And it was like, Oh, I'm not crazy. He's been doing this this whole time. He is like, it's done. Like there's nothing at this point that he could possibly, like, this is so over. (laughs) And it was, it was this a piece. So I went, I got up quietly, grabbed my phone, went downstairs. Uh, We had a three level. My son was upstairs sleeping. We were on the middle floor originally. And then I went downstairs to call her and um, just so happens that she was out because a a really good friend of ours, mom had passed away. And so they were doing kind of this dinner together. Otherwise she would have been asleep. And, uh, so I just really feel that God, like everything happens for a reason. Right. And, um, so I called her, I said, it's about to get really ugly. He's been having the affair the whole time. I need you to get here as soon as possible. Cause I I just, after the week I had just endured, I knew that it was not going to be okay. And I also knew that there was nothing he could possibly do to make, make me stay. (laughs) Right. And, um, as I'm hanging up from her, he comes down the stairs and is like, Mo, Mo, what's going on? And I just said, 
um, it's over. Like I've seen it. There's nothing you can say. And I was really calm about it. I just said, there's nothing you can say. Um, it's over. Um, I really just think you just need to get all your stuff and leave. And, uh, we'll, we're going to divorce is intimate. Like it's happening where it we're done. And he comes and grabs his phone and he's like trying to like spin it. Like, it's not what you think it is. And I'm like, no, like, no, like that's exactly what I think it is. And this conversation's over. Eva's on her way and, um, and it's done. And he was like, and, and then it's like, I turned to go back upstairs and wait for Eva. And I knew she was about 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. Um, and he grabbed me by the neck and, so we had like a couch that I was behind because mm-hmm. it was like a big kind of downstairs family TV room. And he flipped me back over the couch. Um, and before I could even stand, as I'm standing up, he grabs me and he like slams me in my side, right on um, like, how do I, like on a re- recliner, right? Mm-hmm. But it was where all the metal and everything was. And so I, I like cracked my ribs, like, I mean, that's what it felt like. Right. And so I couldn't breathe. And then he's grabbing me. And that's when he just started really physically like beating me, like hitting me in the face. I can't like, um, you've, we've all heard the term seen stars. Like that's real thing. Like when you get hit in the face, like your light vision, I mean, it's crazy. Um, And I just, and he kept telling me, you need to save me, call Eva, tell her not to come. Like, we're going to work this out. And I was like, nope. (laughs) I mean, I'm crying at the time and, and everything, but I was like, it's over, go away. You're a coward. I was screaming at him. Like, you're such a coward. Your son is here. Like, why don't you just leave? You know, I mean, I I don't know everything I said in the moment, but, um, so yeah. So then he, he did that. And, um, Eva ended up coming. Oh, and then he went upstairs, grabbed a gun and, um, came back downstairs. And, and I, by this point I had been beat so bad. I couldn't, I wasn't really aware of like up or down or left or right. Um, and he pinned me, uh, with his forearm on my throat and put, put the gun to his head and his head to my head and said, um, you know, you save me. He's screaming at me to save him. And I just said, hold the trigger, like you're a coward, you know? And I mean, I had tried to eject the magazine, which I had been successful of. And I was like trying to get the bullets out of the gun. And, and he literally said, it'll only take one bullet. It's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And so Eva got there and called the police. So, yeah. So for sake of time, yeah, she did get there. He got off me. I ran out the back door to a neighbor's house. Mm -hmm. Um, and when she came in and saw me, she told, asked me to call the police and I said, I couldn't do it. And she said, I, I'm not going to not call the police. And she called the police. And, uh, from there, yeah, he was arrested. And, um, due to the investigation, the thorough investigation that the police department did, because remember he was, he was a County deputy County showed up first. Um, then, then they called in, um, Mountward and PD mm-hmm. and uh, the t- detective came. And because of that report, um, domestic violence gets a 72 hour mandatory hold mm-hmm. because of the report that uh, the detective did. Um, not only did the, the judge increase his bail, it was set at $50,000. He increased it to 250,000. Um, he also uh, put into place what's called a magistrate um, warrant, which gives the investigate, it puts him on hold in, unless he makes bail, he's, he has to stay in prison for another 30 days or in jail for 30 days while they continue to investigate. Because basically when it all came out, I went through all of these abuses that had happened. And so they, they actually had time to go and investigate it. What's interesting to me, first of all, like just, you're so brave to tell your story. Um, and just, and just tell it in such a vulnerable and open way, right. Where you're able to reflect and, and really remember how you were feeling, because I think that that's important for us to understand. Um, when, when you haven't been through something, you can't put yourself in their situation. So I just appreciate you really going deep. Um, and what I also, what I found really interesting was your, your breaking point, your tipping point wasn't the abuse air quotes again it was the affair. Right. And a lot of people didn't understand that. A lot of people couldn't understand that, but. And I just wonder how many people are, are in a situation where there, there isn't an affair and the abuse isn't enough. Right. A lot. 
a lot because think about it, you know, when you build a whole life with somebody and they're really good at manipulating you and making you feel like life can't be better than what you have with them, it's scary to think about what's afterwards. Right. And, and it's like, oh, I can, I can survive this. I'm strong. I can survive the violence. Right. But can I survive being completely isolated and alone, not having a roof over my head? Um, You know, by this point, you know, friends and family typically aren't really there and supporting you. Right. So. Absolutely. So it's more scary to be alone. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what would you, what would you advise women to, to do if we suspect, uh, abuse is happening with someone that we know? Absolutely. So I think number one is, is to make yourself vulnerable and to have the conversation. Um, I think that so often we shy away from asking questions and you don't have to be accusatory, but just being um, empathetic and being vulnerable and saying, Hey, no, um, I can't ignore what I'm seeing and I don't know where you're at. With this, and I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know how long you've been going through it, right? But I see you, I see you, and I love you, and you are worth more than whatever you're getting. And when you're ready to talk, I am here for you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge them, Mm -hmm. right? Because remember, these these women love these men or these, you know, these victims love their abusers. Mm -hmm. And so when you attack that abuser, they they defend it too. Um, if you look up statistics, domestic violence, right? Um, uh, women who have literally just gotten beaten from an inch of their lives will attack law enforcement as they're taking away their spouse because there's this a level of fear. It's it's not rational, but I can tell you that you're not rational in that place. You are so beyond um, seen clearly. Yeah, and reason. Yeah. So you suggest becoming vulnerable yourself and asking in a compassionate, empathetic, safe, non-accusatory way, asking the the question. Mm -hmm. Okay. And whether the response is what you expect or not, the follow-up should be when you're ready to leave, I'll be here. 100%. Okay. It kind of makes me think of, um, there's been a couple times in my life where I've talked to people who have been very, very depressed. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I, this person, I could see them taking their own life. Mm-hmm. And that's a really awkward question, right? It takes a, an enormous amount of vulnerability to ask, are you considering suicide? And I've only done it a couple times. And I just think that that's also another, it's, it's hard to ask the question. But the question is so important. So important. And, and it's just, and, and you can say, you don't have to say anything. You don't even have to respond, but I want you to know that I see you. I value you. I love you or whoever this person is, even if, if, if they're um, an acquaintance, even if you don't know them that well, Mm -hmm. and you see signs of domestic violence to say, I see you Mm -hmm. and you're not alone and there is support and resources. And when you're ready, call me and I will swoop in and you will be okay. And that's it. And, and, and let them process that because when you're that deep, you're not thinking that there's actually resources like DB Sav out there who will put you in a safe house and help you get lined up with an attorney and beat and tell you what you need. Like you don't know that those resources are out there. Absolutely. How would you know? Right. Because you, Monica, we're just over there living the American dream. Exactly. In the big house with the career and the two point whatever kids, right? You were checking all the boxes. Um, and so how would you know? So I think that's so brilliant that I was at the auction and I became aware. And now I am able to share your story and the fact that there are resources mm-hmm. out there for women. Um, the other thing, yeah. And the other thing that I just really want to circle back that's so important is that you started the story with that, um, it, 
it isn't domestic violence isn't just for those people. Um, domestic violence affects everyone at all levels. And so, um, nobody is, uh, what is it? Immune. Nobody's immune. Yeah. Yeah. It hits every socioeconomic class. Um, it's not just, you know, poor people, right. It's not just raging alcoholics. It's not drug users. I mean, it's, um, it literally touches everybody. And, and the effect is not just to me, the woman who's getting hit, it's affected my children in a way that we don't have, we need another hour to talk about. Right. You know, it's affected my children. It's affected my friends who after everything came out, had to self and grapple with the fact that they didn't say things, they didn't ask more questions. They did, you know, and, and it's hard to then look at, everybody in the face and say, nobody, it's nobody's fault. It's all on him. It's not my fault for staying too long. I mean, there's, you know, you can go back and you can replay a thousand times um, how you could have done things differently. But the reality is, is you can't. Um, Matter of fact, one of the books, and I wrote it down. So Mm -hmm. because I think this is really important, but it, it really helped me through the initial few months, right? Because it's so easy to go back and replay the conversations or why didn't I see this? Or why didn't I do this? Or why did, you know, um, and this book is called, you can heal your life. And it's by Louise Hay. Um, and it's, it's really about being intentional and being present and, and, and being you know, forward focused. And so every time I felt myself, um, you know, the one thing that we all have is the ability to control our thoughts and we're not very skilled at controlling our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so what I've practiced and what I continue to practice and um, definitely encourage anybody else to do is to, when you feel yourself going into those dark places that you can't change, can't change anything that happened in the past Mm -hmm. is to re is to control your brain enough to become present and say, okay, what can I do right in this moment? And it's okay to, in that moment, be sad, be angry, um, be frustrated, be all of the above devastated. You can feel those feelings, but I think what's important is to not associate them or try and change the past. Yeah. Be fully present in those feelings, embrace those feelings, and then choose right? Where do I go from here? Where, how can I make this next, you know, tomorrow today, it's a, it's a stay in bed kind of a day, right? But tomorrow is a new day. And, um, and how do I I embrace that? My mom always says, um, feelings are neither right nor wrong. It's just what you do with them. And this is really interesting. I have Louise Hayes, um, power thought cards on my desk. Yes. Yes. That's so that's such an amazing tip for anyone, right? Is that we really do have the ability to, to control our thoughts and to readjust as soon as something pops in that isn't serving us anymore. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder what card it is. And the card that is on top is I am worth loving. Yep. And that, you know, what's funny is I have that, that's a reminder that pops up on my phone every single day at one it says you are worth loving. Oh my gosh. And that's it's, amazing. Yeah. So it's, that's one of the things that I've done. Um, I do it for all sorts of things. If goals I'm focusing on or whatever, but, but that's, that's a place that I still three years. Um, it's been three years almost. I still struggle with, uh, the worthiness of what I deserve, right. From a, from an, um, from an emotional, uh, partner standpoint, right. Um, so many other aspects of my life are thriving or amazing, um, and doing really, really well. Um, but from an emotional partner standpoint, I'm still not quite sure, uh, what I deserve, right. Yeah. And what I want. And so, I need to spend and, that's so and that's so self-aware and, um, you just seem like you just are able to give yourself so much grace with that self-awareness, right? Like I, I'm not quite ready to give myself or allow myself, but, and that's okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that that's right. It's like, you can't be all things at all times. And, um, you know, so I've really worked, you know, first year was just survival mode. Um, 
uh, trying to figure out the trial and all of that stuff. And then the last two years or then the the year after that was going through a divorce um, and uh, trying to stabilize my children's mental health, um, which was very, very challenging. And then um, this past year has been really a switch and focus on me and my personal growth, my personal development, making some massive changes in my life to, to better align what I'm doing with my values. And, um, and being really conscious about that and intentional about that. Um, and, and at some point, I'm not quite there yet. Then I, then I, once I get kind of these other key foundational pieces of my life, really solid where I want to do, then I can put energy into a partner who, who will then will be exactly what I need it to be. And I truly believe that I just don't have the energy. (laughs) Absolutely. I hear that a lot and you're the most perfect and, you know, I'm going to wrap up because yeah. they, I could talk to you for another three hours. This has just been a joy. Um, the, you've been a, the perfect guest because my intention with these podcasts is to talk to women who have made the intentional decision to move from a life of default to a life on purpose, to a life by design. And you have done that and continue to do that. And you are just an inspiration. I am so thankful to have had you. Uh, I do end all the podcasts with the same question, which is tell us what living on purpose means to Monica. Yeah. So living on purpose, what that means to me is making a conscious choice every single day that whatever I'm choosing to do, the people I spend my time with, the work that I do, how I spend my time, that it has to add value to my life. And so living on purpose and living intentionally, it's saying, hey, is this adding value to my life or is it sucking value from my life? And if it's sucking value from my life, then you don't have, I don't have room for you in my life. And that comes down to people. And it's really hard sometimes uh, um, removing yourself from people who just want to take from you, right? Because um, vulnerability and service and honesty are values of mine. Um, And so... So sometimes it's like saying, I want to serve you, but at the same time, you can't just take, um, one of my coaches and, and then I'll stop talking. One of my coaches said, Monica, what, what you're always doing is you're in the boat, right? It's the storm and you're, you're rowing the boat and you're saying, Hey, we can do this. You got this to the other people. And rather than being the person in the boat, pulling them along because what's happening is they're just sitting back and relaxing while you're doing all the work, mm-hmm. be the lighthouse in the storm that says, Hey, this is where you can be. You have to do the work, but just follow the light. See what I'm doing. This is how it can be. And it's different. It's, it's sharing my energy rather than giving my energy. Um, And I love that. Beautiful. Share your energy rather than give all of your energy. That's beautiful. You are beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living on Purpose podcast. It has been a blast hanging out with you. If you loved this week's episode, please hit that subscribe button. That way you won't miss any future goodness we throw your way. Craving community and connection with like-minded badass women? Feel free to join us in the Living on Purpose Facebook group. And of course, the best gift that you could possibly give is an honest review on iTunes. All right, that's it. Until next time. Always keep living on purpose.